We're going to be right into 1 Samuel as we continue where we left off uh, last time here last week. And as we take a look at these three chapters, we're going to flow through these, and it's all about Saul. So let's pray and let's get right into the study. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open up your word here, Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit would just illuminate your word to us to hear what we need to hear, to, uh, to understand, and to apply. And we thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit to teach us all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Demand for a king. I titled that because it can mean so many things even in our lives where we demand something that we believe is the right thing for our life, that right person for our life, or that right situation, or that right fill in the blank. We demand it because we believe that's what we're missing out on something or we need to uh, fill a void. Something is letting us come and we demand, uh, demand. We find that the nation of Israel uh, is going to demand for a king and we will see Samuel, the last judge, the prophet, uh, God is going to use to uh, prematurely set up this demand for a king. He's going to give the desires of their heart, their heart, not God's desire on their heart, but their own desire to fulfill that, and he's going to do that, and God's going to use that to actually teach them uh, some serious, deep, uh, um, deep, well, what's the word I'm thinking of here? Just had it and went right back out, but that is uh, lessons, deep lessons uh, from these demands that they're going to ask. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, let's start with the first three verses. Now it came to pass. Remember when you see that phrasing, that means time has passed. It doesn't always reveal how much time has passed, but we do know that when Samuel was old, that his, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first, uh, firstborn was Joel. This, the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. Notice that. They turned aside after what? Dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Oh, can you imagine? Can you, can you think about that doing that today? Judges are taking bribes. You know, can you imagine that would happen in today's world? Only back then, right? Nothing new under the sun, as we can see where they've perverted justice, they've took bribes, they're looking for dishonest, dishonest gain. And you know judges know the law. And they still did it. Can you imagine? But we see here Samuel was one of the godliest men in the entire Bible. And he had two offsprings. How could these two sons be not walking the way he... This man was an example of walking. And now he's at this older age and he's, he's moved on in this age where he's coming to the end of his age and he's wanted to put his, his sons in the judge positions. And note that I said he made a decision to put his own sons into judges. God didn't call him to make them judges. He took it upon himself. My two kids are probably good for nothing here and they ain't going to make a living. Let me, I'm going to put them in judges so I have, they've got a jobs or something here. 
it went against God's word. God didn't say they were to, to be judges. Only God can assign a judge. Only God will a, a set up a prophet. Only God can set up a king. So here we see right up front that Samuel stepped over his bounds as a judge and put his sons into these positions. And they were not walking rightly, not as according an example of what how he was walking as a godly man. No, no, they, they were complete opposites of that and they were doing things were wrong so Samuel was wrong to appoint his sons as judges and they certainly as judges they had a big problem so what was it happening in the nation of Israel look at what happened in verses 4 5 then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel in Ramah and said to him look you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways now make us a king to judge us like all the nations so they did the right thing as the, the, the uh, elders, they rose up and said, we got to deal with this because this is not good. It's not good for the nation. We've got to come up with a solution. Again, these elders were wise enough to know that they needed to address it. Great. They went to Samuel, the judge. Great. But in the process, they were not, le they leaned on their own understanding and they took a look at what was going on around them versus just purely saying, God, help us. Figure, what do you want us to do for the nation of Israel? Because things right now are bad. Samuel's walking away. He's, he's going to die. But these two sons he's appointed are not good. But instead of just letting God make the decision of raising up another judge, right judge, to replace Samuel. No, they came in and said, we want, us, we want to make us a king to judge over us of all nations. We want a king. Not another judge. A king. So what happens here is while it was wise for the elders to certainly address and reject Samuel's sons as leaders because they were wicked men, they were ungodly and all of those things. They didn't want to accept these leaders that were automatically appointed to them that are unfit and ungodly to rule God's people. Just because you're in a position in your family does not mean a guarantee you're in the, you're in, the end slot for leadership. It should not be that way in, in God's, God's design here. But the desire to have a king, the demand to have a king was not a bad thing in general because God knew one day Israel will have a king. 400 years before this, God gave instructions to Israel about their future king. We, see that, we saw that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. A king was a, in God's plan for Israel. He was going to be the king of kings, our Lord Jesus. But prior to that, it was going to be King David. He had a plan to be, but he, they couldn't, couldn't wait for God to roll this out. They demand a king now when they felt like they needed to have it. Versus just being patient and letting God be in control. They started demanding. They didn't go to God. They went to Samuel, yes, but they should have went to Samuel and said, Samuel, we need to go to God and look for the, the you know, tell us what is God showing you. Because clearly he didn't show you rightly to put judges of your two sons. That was certainly not of you. Certainly not of God. That was just all you. So the reason Israel wanted a king was, was, was wrong. Because they, why? Because the reason is right there we saw is that they, we want to make us a king to judge us like all the nations. All those ungodly nations out there. We want to look and be just like them. 
Raise someone up to be a military power. Raise someone up to judge us rightly. Or, or, didn't even say rightly, just judge like all the other nations. But those kings were wicked kings. But they were leaning on their own understanding. They were looking at what the world had to offer to bring into the nation of Israel to kind of act and be just like them. And so many times churches is the same thing. How do we want to deal with these issues that we're dealing with in the church? Let's look around what the organizations and companies are doing. Let's just adopt some of these philosophies and these ways and let's bring them in. Hey, I work for a major corporation. We can bring it in. This is how we'll do it. And we That's not how it works. God's designed the church. God designed how he wants to. He rules over the church. We don't bring the things of this world into the church. But they were doing it then, and it still happens in many of organization, church-related organizations today. They wanted to be like the world, when we should instead be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Instead of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, they wanted to be transformed into the image of the rest of the nations of this world. That is not how God's people are supposed to be. Make us a king. Demand a king. Make us a king. There was a difference between a king and a judge. You know that. A judge was a leader raised up by God, usually to meet a very specific season and reason of what was going on in the nation to battle, go against the enemy, or to address a certain crisis. But that's what the judge was raised up by God to address just that time or that season. A king is not only held his office as king as long as he lived. Judge was only a temporary thing to deal with the crisis, deal with that season, and then out of there they went back to their life. They went back to living their life and, and having to live under the rules of, the, of, the, of, of God and the nation. But a king would come in and stay in that office and make rules and set up a government, and he would then pass that throne down to his descendants. It, would, it was going to never end. Judges didn't make a government. Kings established a standing government and bureaucracy. If you remember in Judges 8, the people tried to do this once before with Gideon, remember? And Gideon was offered the throne over Israel to become our king, to take over. And he refused it, saying, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Judges 8, 23. He made it very clear. Don't even attempt me with this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pass it on to my son. That is not how it works. It, God rules over us. I am just to judge rightly based on God's, God's design and God's uh, guidance. But that was supposed to be the heart of all the judges. And why Israel went some 400 years in the promised land without a king. Because the judges understood their role. They understood their, their limitations. Verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Of course it did. He'd been ruling rightly for the longest time. He's at his end of his age and now he's looking at what's, what they're asking here. This is incredible. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Ah, see, Samuel, the godly man, immediately did the right thing. He didn't push back and say, wait a minute, I'm still alive here. I'm still in control, and I already made a decision. My sons are in control, and you're just going to have to deal with it. No, he didn't. He immediately what? So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, 
Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they rejected me. Notice that. I'll stop right there for a minute. He says, hey, God, Samuel immediately went to the Lord. Lord, how do you want to deal with this situation? He must have been feeling really, it says right here, he, he, he displeased Samuel. It touched him within. Like, wow, I can't believe these people are coming against me like this. How could he be coming? You could kind of imagine what it must have hit him, just thumped him right in the chest. And he must have been felt rejected. Why? Because God answers and says, no, 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 Samuel, heed the voice, do what they say. Why? Because he says, they haven't rejected you. I know you're feeling rejected. I know this is really displeasing you. I know emotionally you're having a moment. I know you think everyone's against you because they don't want to do something different. But that's not what's happening. They're not, they're not rejecting you, but they have rejected me. That I should not reign over them. That is the decision. They have chosen. They do not want me to rule over them. They want man to rule over them. And according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, gods so they are, going, they are doing to you also. He's saying here, I've been watching these people. I see all things. I know all things. I know where their hearts are. Ever since I brought them out of Egypt to be able to rule and reign over them and bring them out of, there, out of bondage and to live the life in freedom and liberty and let me rule over them and have a good and the promised land and all these things I promised them. Goodness, all this stuff is going to be great. But their hearts have always been according to their works. It, what they say, they, oh yes, we want the Lord ruling over, but their lives were reflecting that they really didn't want God to rule over because they started following other gods and serving other gods and forsaking me and all their things. That's why I was raising up judges right and left to, to get, bring them out of trouble every time they're into bondage again. So they're doing to you also, to me, everything that you're just, you're just caught up into this, uh, Samuel. It's, at the end of your life, you've just been caught up into this. But this has been going on for quite some time. They shouldn't be. I mean, anytime there's a thing that happens in our lives to do, whenever we find ourselves really displeased... We should never carry such troubles and anxiety with us. Instead, we should do what Samuel did with the, when he prayed to the Lord. He literally took all of those things that were displeasing him, emotionally affecting him, and take it to the Lord immediately. Casting all of their burdens upon the Lord. But God said to him, God, Samuel, fulfill the people's request. Not because their request was good and right. It was absolutely wrong. But because God is going to teach Israel through this moment of their desires and their, their, their decision to demand a king instead of letting me rule over them, I'm going to let you go forth with this because I'm going to use this for a teaching moment. Sometimes when we insist on having something bad, God will allow us to have it and to teach us through it. Be very careful what you ask for. Sometimes I hear, but the Lord allowed it. I mean, it's still, oh, it doesn't mean it's going to be good. It's going to be good because he's going to teach you a lesson so that you can come to a, 
understanding and humble yourself and really be broken and to really follow and trust God because what you're doing is not by faith and not trusting God. You're doing it in your own way, demanding. You're demanding something. Sometimes you, <laughs> you demand where you want to go, how you want to do it, how you want to live. Demand, demand, demand. And then all of a sudden you get it and you go, that was a really bad thing. But God allowed it. Yeah, because he's going to teach you through it. Learn the lesson very quickly. And get right with it. Humble thyself. Repent. Again, and many times this is a matter of timing here. God knew Israel was going to have a king. But let God make the decision when and how and who's going to be the king. And because Israel demanded a king out of a bad and cardinal reasons, God was going to give him a bad and cardinal king. Israel will get what they wanted and it will hurt because of it. But Samuel, they didn't reject you. That decision making and demanding for a king is really rejecting me. They don't want me to rule and reign over their lives. They want to live their life however they live and according to the way everyone else is living. I want to live just like them. Let us just blend in with the world. Because they have forsaken me. And yes, they have forsaken you indirectly. You know, it's interesting as you sit there, why would they demand a king? Why would they demand a king? It's, it's not like their God was a, uh, a God that's not worthy to be praised and to follow. They brought him out of, the, out of bondage, out of Egypt. Gave him a promised land. Fought their battles and kept the enemies away. Provided a better than milk and honey. I mean, this is a great, beautiful place he's provided for them. And a promise and a future and eternity. Everything, that their God who was ruling over was giving everything they needed to. Didn't he demonstrate his ability to lead the nation? Yes. Did he demonstrate he could be able to demonstrate over and over again that he can rule and reign and, and, and protect him? Yes. But it's interesting. It's almost prophetic, is it not? Do you remember in John 19, 15, when Jesus stood before Pilate, the Jewish that Jewish mob that was collecting. And what did they say? We have no king but Caesar. It was a setup to see what was going to happen to even Jesus, the king of kings. They were going to reject even Jesus, the Messiah. Reject him as king. It's a pattern we see here. We'll see a pattern over and over and over Prophetically knowing, ultimately, this same people, these, the nation of Israel, is going to reject the king of kings, Jesus himself. Verse 9, now therefore heed their voice. I understand you're emotionally wrapped up in this. I know you feel like you're rejected. I know you don't, this is not good. You know this is not of God. All these things. But there now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So what a beautiful thing that God does here. He says, you're going to give them their, their demand. 
But I want you to clearly speak to them and show them what the outcome's going to be. Don't make sure there's no question in their mind what they're going to achieve. This is going to be the outcome if they get it. It, it, you just have to look down the road a little further. A lot of people will stop and say, I want this, I demand this, but they never want to look too far down the road because they know if they really do that, they know it's not going to be good. They just know it. You know deep within. I know this is not good, but I'm going to, I'm going to want it anyway. I'll do it differently. Everyone else has failed with this when I watch them, but I'm different. I know what to do. I'm smarter and all this. All this. You've been bewitched. So he says to Samuel, you're going to show them clearly the behavior of the king. How is the king going to behave? Because what happens is, and what God's teaching us here, information creates responsibility. Information creates responsibility. You and I have to understand, by telling Israel, Samuel not only helped them make an informed choice, he increases their accountability for making the right choice. And if they do not make the right choice, he, they cannot sit there and say, we just didn't know. Which, which God would have showed me this? You, couldn't, you can't blame God. You can't, you can't blame anyone to the left or to the right. You can't blame Samuel. You can't blame the, the king. You can't blame anyone. God said to Samuel, you tell him right up front how this king is going to be and how they're going to treat you. They couldn't say, we didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> it's so common today. Pastor, I didn't know. Yes, you did. Think back through, I guarantee you, God sent someone and warned you. There was a teaching. They said, repent, you better change, you better go here. He sent all kinds of flags to you. You ignored them all. So what happens? So Samuel, verse 10, told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them. For, their, for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters. Not only will he take your sons, he's going to take your daughters too, to be perfumers, perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Makes it pretty clear. Are you ready to sign on the dotted line? Knowing all of this, are you sure this is what you want? Because God wanted to, you know, Israel to know there would be problems, there would be consequences with your choice. 
The choice of demanding a king will have consequences. It could be good or bad. In this case, he said it's going to be bad for you. And it doesn't always affect you who are making the decision, uh, the elders and, and the leaders of, this, of, this, of the nation. It's not going to just affect you. It will affect your children and your servants and all your employees. It will affect you in your decision of, a, of, of deciding on this king. We, we would call it, you know your vote has consequences. And depending on who you vote and who you want to be king, or we call president, has consequences. You have the king of kings, right? God Almighty, the creator of the universe. To rule over you and you want man. Not every king is taking a good king. See, most kings are all about power and position and, and, uh, and pomp and stinks, right? A circumstance. And they want to take. Take, take, take. They're saying 10, 10% taxes on the grains and the vintage. 10% to change here. More but here. We're going to take your sons. We're going to, you haven't had a choice. They are not going to have a choice to volunteer for the military. They are going to be put into the military. You don't have a choice. They're going to run around my chariots. They're going to take care. They're going to make weapons of war. They're going to go to war. They're not going to have a choice. These are the things and the choices they're going to make here. And, it's, and we're going to take all your fine, your, even, your, even you're going to take your, all your fields and vineyards and olive groves, all the things you've invested in for to provide for yourself government is going to own it but the king of kings Jesus is a giver a worldly king will take Jesus always gives Jesus said to himself the son of man did not come to be served but to serve Matthew 20 verse 28 and he met it i've come to serve not to be served kings of this world always say i'm here for my the people i'm here for the people but once they get into power it's all about what them and the government of power but later on we will find out israel will cry out because they wanted a king for unspiritual ungodly reasons so god will give this coming king, your king, and make it clear that he is the king whom you have chosen. And if Israel wanted for God's king, they would not need to cry out, would they? Because it would be good and right. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. God is using this man. They would listen to him. They came out to him, help us. And when he speaks the truth, what happens? They obey. Refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. That's what happens in counseling. God will use you and all when they need it, but when it comes time when they don't want to hear what you want to hear, they'll refuse to listen to the truth. 
And that's what happened to Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel, who has been fighting your battles? That was God's fighting the battles. What do you mean you think a man who you're going to raise up the king is going to fight your battles like the rest of the nations? Wait a minute, you've been winning because God's been fighting your battles. And now you want man to fight your battles? And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. He took everything he said and he turned around and he took it right to the Lord and made sure the Lord and repeated, hey, God, did you hear what they just said? This is what they said. They're not going to listen and obey. They want, the king. they want their own king. They want them to rule over just like all the other nations. God, did you hear this? And he repeated the hearing to the Lord. And so the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his cities. <laughs> City, I, get out of my face. He's almost like, get out of my face. Go get, get away from me. I can't believe you're asking me these things. I got, I got work to do. So sure enough, God will give Israel their king. Saul, Saul will be their king. And later, after that, their king fails and they fall miserable. Then God will give Israel his king and it will be King David. Ultimately, that's what's going to happen. Why? Because God ultimately is going to set up this monarchy, right? Where the king will rule. David is a, a, a template of what it's going to be like. And then ultimately, Jesus will be the king of kings that will rule. Hmm. Amazing, is it not? See, this was never God's goal for Israel. God wanted to make them a special treasure to him, to me, above all people. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Exodus 19.6. But no, they were not satisfied. They were not content with God's plan for their lives, for the nation. Chapter 9. There was a man named, name of, um, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekoroth, the son of Aphia, the, a Benjamin, a mighty man of power. A mighty man of power means he was very wealthy. He was a very prestigious guy, a good position of power. And he had a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. For his shoulders up, upward, he was taller than any of the people. So you can now look at, get us a poster child of making, we can sit there and look at my king compared to your king. And he was taller than anyone in the nation of Israel. He is the most, the most choice and handsome, perfect build, you name it. He fit above anybody else you can imagine. So he, had, he looked apart, man. That is our king. Wow. He's got it all together. Look at our king comes from a wealthy and influential family. He was an influential man of, of a father here of Kish. And, and everything, prestigious family, everything, wealth, influence, background. He probably had the pedigree and all the things going for him. Got the resume. Got the family name. A dynasty is ahead of us. All oh, in the great. And not only did he have the name, but he had the, they had the face to go with it. 
a body to go with it. Look at how tall he is. Did you know the meaning of Saul means asked of God? <laughs> Israel asked for a king and Saul was the one that God gave him. You asked for a, you asked for a king? Okay, I'll give you Saul, asked, asked of God. But you know what's interesting? Nowhere in the definition of Saul and his, anything we know about Saul, nothing is said about his relationship with God of Israel. None. There's nothing said because there is nothing to say. He had the looks, he had the height, he had the prestige, he had the name, he had everything the world has to offer. He did not have a well-known relation with God. There's nowhere in the scripture that talks about that. Saul reflected the spiritual state of the whole nation of Israel. There may have been some spiritual image present somewhere, somehow, because he was an Israelite, but the heart was far from where God wanted it to be to rule over his people. Verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. So we passed through the mountains of Ephraim. Uh, make note of that. Who else is living in the mountains of Ephraim? Notice that. And through the land of uh, Shelishah. Shelish, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim. And there they were... And they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servants who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God. That's where Samuel lived. Remember the mountains of Eve from here. And he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Samuel said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our, in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. In parentheses, or, formally in, or in brackets, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the shear. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a shear. Then we pick back up here. Then Saul said to his servants, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the shear here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city, because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. 
As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city as they were Coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. So we see here that Israel's first king will be led to the throne. How? Through a simple task, a simple uh, request by his father, go look for these donkeys, they're important to me. Okay, Dad, I'll go look for the donkeys. Very simple thing. Never thought this was going to be a big deal. But this is how God was orchestrating the steps of this man so that he could meet Samuel, who will then, Samuel will know this is the man that I am supposed to anoint here, we will see, to be king. Saul had no clue. Dad had no clue. Only Samuel knew there was going to be a time when God was going to reveal who he was calling on someone's life that God was going to put on that person's life and anoint him because that's what God called him to do. And so here they are, there being these three lost donkeys uh, and having no idea what the significance was to go after these donkeys, thinking it was all about the donkeys and it, was, it had nothing to do with the donkeys. It had everything to do to orchestrate where two men's paths would cross in this case, Saul and Samuel. See, I take and I think that through and I think of, we have a tendency to make two mistakes when it comes to regarding God's guidance through our lives. And many times God will guide our lives through circumstances. One mistake is to think every event of life is a heavy meaning. And did you see that? And, and the clouds were formed a certain way. It, it's got to be a sign. It's got to be something that must be God. And, it, and then did you notice this? And it's, we could always kind of create, make mistakes, thinking these are all things of God when it's really not of God. Or the second mistake is to ignore the moving of God in our lives through circumstances. Ah, that can't be of God. Come on. That was a miracle. Yeah, just, just a coincidence. See, God wanted to use this situation to guide Saul. And God will often use circumstances in our lives the same way. We need to trust in God's goodness and his ability to make what? All things work together for good in Romans 8.28. This must have been frustrating, right? They, they did not find the donkeys. They weren't there after they checked and checked and checked and didn't find them. And they must have been frustrated and say, this is ridiculous. We're never going to find these donkeys. Wherever they get, it's not going to work out. This is not going to work out. It's wasting our time. I can't believe Dad is going to have us do all this work. This is hard work. This is boring work. This is whatever it may be. You can get into your head sometimes and think, this is not worth it. This can't be of God. And they're not even thinking of this as being a God. This is just a typical task, being asked by dad to go do this, and it's really annoying. Those donkeys could have gone anywhere. But God's intent was to direct the footsteps so that Saul would meet 
Samuel, and it didn't matter about the donkeys. It wasn't about the dumb animals. It was all about the donkeys. Obviously, the donkeys were smart enough to submit to God and go do, and move and go and disappear. But in this case, God was like, no, I'm going to just use that object, those objects, those, those animals, to get someone's attention to move, to go to where he, God wants to guide the steps. They looked, and they looked, and they were, all of a sudden they went and they said to the city, and they heard that the city, a man of God, was at this city. And they were smart enough to say, well, if there is a man of God who has a way of saying things and telling us or revealing, we can save a lot of time and energy here because we need to find these donkeys. And we go, let's go seek after this man of God and let's show us our way. Obviously, Samuel had a great reputation of being a godly man, did he not? Man of God, an honorable man. All he says surely comes to pass. <laughs> Every believer should have such a reputation, should, it not? should it we not? But out of respect, they understood they needed at least bring some kind of sacrifice, or, or, or I shouldn't say not so much a sacrifice, but some kind of gesture, a gift to a godly man to, to say, we are looking for your services. We're looking to help. We want you to help us out. And we want to show honor and show because you're an honorable man, a godly man. We wanted to show this is what is right and good. And the word sheer is, again, a prophet that they were looking for and occurs here for the very for the very first time in this place the word sheer is right here in our text and it really signifies a person who sees supernaturally god gives them to see things that is supposed to take place a sheer and a prophet were the same in most cases here but only with a slight difference the sheer always was always a prophet, but a prophet was not always a seer. So this seer was able to see and hear and receive from God things that people couldn't see. And it just happened to be, today's the day this man Samuel was going to be in this town. He wasn't normally in that part of the, in the town. It just happened that Saul and his servant came looking for the donkeys at the same day, same place as Samuel was in town. Coincidence? No. God designed. God, God directed. God is guiding through these circumstances. Verse 15, now the Lord told, had told Samuel in his ear. Notice that. I love that little statement. The Lord told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came into that town. God had already said, you're going to meet the guy that you're going to anoint to be king. The day before, he whispered in and said, Samuel, pay attention. Because tomorrow about this time, I will send you a time. I mean, not only the day, but about this time. So note the time right now, uh, Samuel. Tomorrow, about this time, wherever you're at, you're going to meet him. That is amazing. That's incredible, right? Because God is really guiding Samuel. Because God, Samuel had an ear to hear God's word. And our God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. 
He uses his word. And he whispers his word into our ears to show. Why do we trust God's word? Why do we read God's word? Why do we want to know and study it and memorize it? Because that is the most reliable source. God's word to whisper in our ears to direct our steps and to answer our prayers but tomorrow at this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my, peop my, my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me and when Sa Samuel saw Saul the Lord said to him even right there at that moment there he is he whispered, tomorrow, same time, this is gonna, you're going to meet him. And he didn't leave it there and go, okay, okay, about this time, okay, it was all right, it's like right after noon, okay, start looking for every single person. No, no, God didn't leave to any question in his mind. He says right there, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. He said, okay. I got your attention. Tomorrow, make sure you don't change your direction. What do I need you to do? And then he told them right there. See you? That's what I was telling you yesterday. Did you see that? That's what I was telling you. See, Saul had no relationship with the Lord. So God spoke to Saul through lost donkeys. Samuel knew and loved the Lord, and God spoke to him directly with his word. I don't know about you, I want God to whisper in my ear and give me direction. And not only to give me insight, but give me the day before kind of insight of what was going to happen the next day. I want God to be talking to me by his word like that. It's that clearly. I don't want to just create these moments. Like, oh, look at the clouds. Oh, everything's lining up. The stars are lining up. No, I want God's word to just really speak to me clearly. That's, that's really, really secure when you have God's word whispering in your ear. Of what he wants you to do. Samuel felt that if this was God's word, he was able to make it happen. Did he not? He had that, that much assurance because he heard God's word speak to him. Not once, but twice to confirm. Because God's speaking one day will be confirmed by his speaking another day. When you know it's of God, he always reinforces what he's speaking to you by his word, he will reinforce it by his word again to confirm. Verse 18, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the shear's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the shear. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. Woo! How <laughs> would you like to have a godly man that God is using and directing and say to you, hey, come on, have, have a meal with me, because God is going to show me everything that's in your heart. Would you have showed up? But as for your donkeys, he's even telling donkeys. Did, we, did he tell him about the fact that he was looking for donkeys? Or did, did Samuel know before they even said anything that they were looking for donkeys? I don't know. But he says, but for as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them. For they have been found. What? <laughs> Can you imagine Saul and his servant? Who are you? We're going to go have dinner and lunch with you? 
And you're going to tell me everything that's going on in my heart and you're the godly man that everyone's telling me about and you're telling me you know about these donkeys and the fact that don't be anxious about these lost donkeys that God's word is showing me that they have been found. That's a God moment, don't you think? And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Notice that. And of whom is all the desire of Israel? It is not on you and on all your father's house. Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? Of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family is the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Wait a minute. I'm an influential family, yes, but I come from still a very humble beginnings. I'm the smallest of tribes. That was very important how big your tribe was. I'm the smallest of the, of the families of that tribe. That's a really important how big your family and your tribe is within the tribe. And you're speaking like this to me, like you're honoring me like this. I'm going to have lunch with you and you're going to tell me all the things of, of Israel and all the things the, and how this is going to play out in, in, my, in my life and the fact is bigger Israel kind of a picture. He, he, he was like, I can't believe this. Saul was absolutely shocked. He was amazed. He, he looked at a prophet, a noted prophet, a well-known prophet, a respected prophet, a man of God who was God used to speak truth. And then he just got done telling me these things that I don't think, how did he know that the, the, I was chasing donkeys? And I, how did he know I was anxious about these things? How did he know they were found? What? you got to put, put yourself into Saul's feet here. And you as a godly man are going to invite me to dinner? And you're going to show me everything that's going on in my heart? Woo, talk about bringing many to fear to hear from the prophet to tell you what you have everything all tucked in that little head of yours and no one knows. And someone's going to about to show you and tell you what you're actually Deep within your heart, what you're thinking. And the fact that Samuel proved to him that he was a true prophet from God. He showed Saul he knew things that he probably could not have known unless they were supernaturally revealed to him. And he was blown away like, I cannot believe this is happening. What happened, verse 22, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the, high, the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. That, and when, in those days, what would happen, even in the military days, there's, there, when you walk into a room, even in the military, you don't just go sit anywhere you want to sit. You always waited until you had placemats, and always the most the ones that are the most honored are the ones sitting by 
the, the highest ranking. It's the same thing here. Samuel had a place, and who was going to be the choice to sit next to him? In this case, Saul, and Saul didn't even know what was happening, but Samuel knew whoever God was going to pick is going to sit right here. And oh, by the way, cook, here's the thigh, and here's the best portions of the, of the meat. Set that aside, because it's going to be a man, I'm going to be sitting right here. And he's laying this out. Not only are you going to have a seat of honor here, Saul, but you're also going to have the special portion that is a, it's part of the, the, the culture of every meal to have a special portion to be given to the one of the most of the host that wanted to that the host wanted to honor. And Saul was going to be specially honored at this meal. Saul still doesn't know why this is all happening. Look what verse 25. When they had come down from the high place into the city, they had their meal. Had the meal. Still doesn't know why he's being honored like this way. Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day. Here's the next day, right? Uh, that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside. He and Samuel, and as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, because he's sending him on his way, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here while, a while that I may announce to you the word of God. <laughs> okay, you're in the city, you're, you're meeting this guy, he's a godly man, it's incredible, honorable, and everything else is going on. He's invited you to dinner, you're sitting in the position of honor, you're getting the choice meats. You're still, like, I'm a Benjamite, I'm like from the smallest little uh, family of the Benjamites, and you're treating me like this, what is going on here? Still nothing, still nothing, no reason, just going to honor them. We're kind of, all the way to the next day, just hanging out, they're talking, they're getting to know each other at the top of the house, and now they're just like, we're going to send you on your way. You get, get to move on. The donkeys have been, I already told you, they were already found. You've got to go and go back home. And he still doesn't know why this man, this godly man, is talking to him. But here at the end here, verse 27, he's standing there while he's going, I'm going to give you the word of God. Samuel wasn't giving him his opinion. He wasn't going to give him some good fatherly advice. <laughs> he's not going to give anything other than what God told him to tell him which we already know, but Saul didn't know. Look what here. Look what happens here. Saul must have sat there, or stood there, and, and Samuel, Samuel is going to dramatically introduce an official anointing as king right there to Saul. He's going to give to Saul the word of God and anoint him. Look what happens in chapter 10. Then Samuel's took a, a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord has anointed you, commander. Is it not because the Lord has anointed you, commander, over his inheritance? It's a question mark. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring this oil over you. I'm pouring it on your head. You're going to be drenched with a gallon of oil coming. Is that a little, a little touch of oil? I mean, the oil is poured over him. So imagine you're just drenched in this oil. He gives him a kiss 
to show of the anointing and honoring of that kiss of, 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 of there. And he said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over the inheritance? It was literally anointing of oil on Saul, this anointing, this moment, this applying of the oil, this oily liquid that poured over to show and the word coming out of Samuel's mouth that comes from the Lord that says, you are now anointed to become the commander, the king of Israel. The commander over his inheritance hid the nation of Israel. <laughs> How does that apply to us as believers? As Christians, under the new covenant, we also have an anointing, do we not? But you have an anointing from the Holy One, 1 John 2.20. That anointing is the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It's that anointing has the idea of being filled with and blessed by the Holy Spirit. And this is something that is the common property, commonality of all Christians. So Samuel greeted him giving him a kiss, you're moving on to the next step in your life. God has called me to let you know this is what's, your life has changed at this moment. God anointed Saul. But he kept it a secret anointing. He didn't want even his, his, his servant to even know, Saul, it's between you, me, and the Lord on this one. You're drenched. I mean, your servant's going to go, what happened to you, Saul? I just left you for a minute. What did the old man do to you here? But Samuel reminded Saul that Israel belonged to the Lord and that they were his inheritance, but you are now going to take an important job because God has placed you in that commander over his people. Verse 2, then, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to, to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? So God is going to give Saul Three signs so it can reemphasize to Saul, this is no joke. This, this man, Samuel, is no joke. This is really of God and the working of God. And he's going to give him three signs. We see this very first one. He says, you're going to go to this place. You're going to see at Rachel's two men at Rachel's tomb. And it's going to be in this area. You're going to, they're going to tell you this, this thing about the donkeys being. And, oh, by the way, your father has ceased to worry about the donkeys because the donkeys found. But now he's worried about you, the son. And always have to remind, as we see the sign of God confirming what he's already said to you, when a word is from God, it is always fulfilled exactly as God says, but not always exactly as we expect. One of the lessons, things I have written down, sometimes God will just... Always when God's word says something, it's always fulfilled exactly as God says it. 
Don't fill in the blanks. If he's only said this much, that's all he's telling you. Don't fill in the blanks and say, oh, that's what he means. No, no. He will only give you what you have. You can hold on to what he says, and he will fulfill it exactly what he's already told you by his word. But not always your expectation. It must be now that's going to happen. No. Don't set the expectations. God will tell you when if he hasn't told you yet. Or where if he's not already told you yet. But just stick with what he says and don't go any further because not always exactly as we expected. We expected this to happen now. No, it's five years from now or ten years from now or two weeks from now. Whatever it may be, that you have to remember. We need to trust God's confirmation along the way. He will confirm. As he's moving, he'll confirm. God did not want Saul to doubt his calling later. Are you sure if I was dreaming that all took place? No, no. Here's some confirmation. The first sign was here. There's a couple of men at Rachel's tomb, and this is what they're going to happen. It's a lot of confirmation. Look at what the next sign is. In verses 3 through 4, he gives another compromising Confirming, I should say, sign. He says, Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the Terebith tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Again, why is that a sign? Why is that important? Why? Because... Again, Samuel gave Saul specific predictions of what was going to happen. Very specific. They were not vague. It wasn't like you went to a church, um, you know, uh, you know, movement of the Spirit of God, and someone stands up and says, anybody out of a 2,000 people, I'm talking to you. If you have a headache right now, uh, I'm speaking to you. Now, it's not vague. If, you're all, if someone here I just know is hungry, and that means God's speaking to you. No, of course someone out of a group of probably five men of soldiers are going to be hungry. <laughs> so, but that's what happens in some of these crazy things. There are all these prophets and predictions and, and apostles and all these things that they name themselves. And they give these general overview. No, God gives specifics that only miraculously when it happens, you know it's of God. He tells you what's going to happen and it's detailed and it happens, you know it's of God. Nothing general. Verse 5, and after that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Remember, the Spirit comes upon them in the Old Covenant. The New Covenant, the Spirit comes within. This kind of the, God's covenant comes and covers a person right there. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Notice that. You'll be turned into another man. You will not be the same man when God's life comes upon, a Spirit comes upon you. You will be a changed man, a changed woman. And let it be. And let it be. When these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. So the third sign is pretty great. This is incredible. He's going to see these prophets coming down. they got the guitars going. Anyway, some stringed instrument. And we know what the tambourine is. We know what the flute is. We know what a harp looks like. 
And they'll be prophesying. They're going to be speaking of God's word, of the things that are going on. And you, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You'll be transformed inside. You don't even know it. It will change the way you think, and everything about you will change. A new man. These are the signs. And when you see these three signs, you'll know God is with you. You'll know God is with you. Because you, everything you've been, you, you're going to speak in that prophecy is all because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was going to have you to speak these truths. This, this reception that's going to happen, this, this Holy Spirit moment was going to be a real anointing. Not only was the oil on you, that good oil represents the Spirit of God, we're going to have the actual Holy Spirit will actually come upon you and empower you to transform your life. Again, there's no signs that Saul was ever a spiritual man at all. So for him to prophesy will be an amazing thing for him. That he's going to know he's a changed man. He's going to know this. This is not going to be, I don't, I don't feel anything different. I think the same way, I act the same way, I, I desire the same thing. No, he's going to be changed. Because God is empowering him. So for God to use Saul to the fullest, he had to be turned into another man by the filling or by the covering of the Spirit of the Lord. And when you see these signs, signs come, God is always confirms his anointing. 